0: You are about to listen to a podcast that is intended for, well, not mature audiences, but certainly adult audiences. So, parents, please take a moment to shuffle your kids out of the room or stop listening to it in front of them. We'll give you a moment. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started with the broadcast. Hello and welcome to Words Between Friends, the podcast featuring two hosts who discuss the curious origins of common English phrases and expressions, all without the benefit of any professional training or expertise in etymology whatsoever, and then we argue with each other. I'm Malcolm Fleshner and with me again is my colleague and fellow linguistic dilettante, Kurt Wolfram. Kurt, are you as excited as I am for today's podcast? There's no way to tell. No, no. <laughs> there's no way to tell. <laughs> it's great because every time I, I open these and ask you, it's like a little magic eight ball answer you give me, although they're not actual magic eight ball answers. But I like to think of your head as a magic eight ball, and you slosh it around in there, and you come up with a different response every time. And this time, it's, there's no way to tell. So the way the show works is Kurt and I have each brought to the podcast a series of well-known English phrases, but have not shared them with each other. Each of us will then try to figure out the meaning and origin of the other's idiomatic expressions. Sounds fun, right? So, uh, Kurt, I believe this week it's your turn to draw first blood. Do you have an expression to get us started?
1: Heck yeah. So, uh, before I get into that, though, Please. I want to just uh, say that uh, there was used to be a show called on the television called Cheers that mm-hmm. was wildly popular, uh, focused around a Boston bar there. And uh, one of the characters, Norm, would come in every day and the, everybody in the bar would yell, Norm! And then uh, the coach was the guy, and then it was Woody, would yell, uh, you know, how's life treating you? And then Norm would have a little pithy response each time. And and that one that I remembered, he's like, a, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. Mm. And so I had a friend that would greet me more often than not with a, hey, uh, Kurt, how's everything? And my response would be, everywhere? Or, you know, uh, in the same place I I saw it last time. Uh Or, Vast, Mm. or I would say, how's everything? I'm like, uh, a lot, you know. And then it just went on from there. And it just, all the different answers that you could deal with. How's everything? I don't know, what have you heard?
0: You know? (laughs) In my imagining of the world of Cheers, i think Mm -hmm. of norm like he gets off of work he's like trudging because he's gonna go to uh, grab a beer which i don't do people even do that anymore like the cliche about the man getting off of work and then going for a beer before he goes home for dinner like i don't know if that even exists anymore but my imagine norm he's trudging to cheers getting to the to the door and being like "Shit, i haven't thought of anything to say yet and him you know (laughs) like he walks back up the stairs he's pacing like uh, Norm, how, how how are things going? And or, you know, What what if he says this? You know, and But the, in fact, that's what the writers were actually doing, probably. They're like, uh, forgot. <laughs> we have to come up with something for Norm. Oh, shit, we forgot to come up with something for Norm. But in the world of Cheers, I do like to think of Norm, the big struggle of his day every day was coming up with something new and funny to say to Coach when he walked in. Uh, but, you know, the struggles of Norm were myriad, and we don't need to get into them and derail the show right at the outset. So I will pass the mic back to you to let you... Tell us what your first expression is for us.
1: All right, so the first phrase is making whoopee.
0: (laughs) Making whoopee. So as I mentioned, once the expression is on the table, the other person has to define it and then figure out what the origin of that expression is. And uh, I think I do know what making whoopee means. I'm pretty sure that it means to engage in sexual intercourse. And uh, am I correct about that at least?
1: Yes, that is the meaning of the phrase as we now understand it.
0: And interestingly enough, the origin uh, relates to Cheers because it comes from Ted Danson, who used to date Whoopi Goldberg. I don't know if people remember this. And people would ask him, no, wait, that's not it. I'm thinking of something else. But I I do know that the way I was exposed to this expression came from the Newlywood game the game show where newlyweds would be asked a series of questions about each other intrusive questions and sexually suggestive frequently and that's what they said instead of make love or have sex they would say when you're making whoopee that's the famous the most famous obviously that everyone recalls or has heard about is when bob eubanks asked what's the most unusual place that you've ever made whoopee and the woman i believe responded that would be the butt bob we all remember that fondly. But it wasn't made up by the newlywed game because there's a famous song from like the 20s called Making Whoopie. So wh- why is Whoopie sex? It's not related to Whoopi Goldberg because she's old but not that old. And I personally, I've never had anybody shout that out in the middle or afterwards. So that hasn't been my experience. But maybe there was some perhaps apocryphal story of an individual engaging in this act and going, whoopee, or no, that's what the, the man's response when he finds out that they're going to. He's like, whoopee, and then it came from there that we're going to make whoopee. That's my guess.
1: Well, I'm just going to comment on the fact that you've had no one call that out before, during, or afterwards. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, I lived with you for a while, so I did hear people calling out during, and mostly they were calling either for help or call 911.
0: No, that's not true, because 911. <laughs> um, uh, there's a man crying uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it has been shouted afterwards, but only just because it was done. <laughs> yeah, we're It's over. Whoopee! We're done with this. Can we move on now? But, but thank you for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I do remember the cry of, is that it?
0: <laughs> hey, we're gonna have sex, huh? Whoopee!
1: <laughs> yeah, so okay, so we'll start with the actual derivation of the word whoopee. That's a noun. It comes from uh, the word whoop, which was a verb. And it was all the way from the mid-14th century, from the Old French meaning hooper or hooper to cry out shout. Okay. And so it goes all the way back to then, that's from uh, then, and then in 1600, was the phrase whoop it up was created disturbance, then was recorded in 1881. And whoop-de-doo was from 1929. Tangentially, whooping cough, 1739, is now the prevalent spelling of whooping cough. Right. And then of course, whooping crane so whoop actually from the 14th century meaning to cry out or shout and then whoopee it took 300 years to make it to whoopee which was in 1845 then characterized as a noisy unrestrained revelry Mm. however the phrase making whoopee didn't appear until 1928 barely beating out the first iteration of the whoopee cushion from 1931. (laughs) Making Whoopie, however, the phrase going from whoop to making whoopie, was popularized by the song, Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right, the song by uh, Eddie Cantor.
0: Eddie Cantor, yeah.
1: And it was in 1928. It was a musical called Whoopie. And so he wrote the uh, lyrics, and everybody can uh, click on the link on our site and listen (laughs) to it. But uh, here are the lyrics here. Every time I hear that dear old wedding march, I feel rather glad I have a broken arch. I've heard a lot of people talk, and I know that marriage is a long, long walk. To most people, weddings mean romance, but I prefer a picnic or a dance. Another bride, another groom, another sunny honeymoon, another season, another reason for making whoopee. And it goes on to say, the chorus sings, here comes the bride, another victim is by her side. He's lost his reason because it's the season for making whoopee. Down through the countless ages, you'll find it everywhere. Somebody makes good wages, somebody wants her share. She'll call him Toodle and roll her eyes. She make him strudels and bake him pies. What's it all for? It's so he'll fall for making whoopee. Another year or maybe less. What's this I hear? Well, can't you guess? She feels neglected or so he's suspected of making whoopee. So she sits alone almost every night. He doesn't phone or even write. He says he's busy, but she says, is he? He's making whoopee. <laughs> he doesn't make much money, $5,000 per. Some judge who thinks he's funny says you'll pay six to her. He says, now, judge, suppose I fail. And the judge says, budge right into jail. You better keep her. You'll find it's cheaper than making whoopee.
0: Wow, it's a, it's like tells a story. Uh, a a yeah. very sad story of the debilitating effect of marriage. So making whoopee there is, it's sort of vague in this sense. I had heard, actually, i have forgotten that, that I thought that Eddie Cantor came up with the idea because he used to use a whoopee cushion to masturbate to or with. So in this case... Making Whoopi sort of general, meaning having a good time and being single.
1: No, no, no. No, he's explicitly... Using it as a euphemism for sex in the song.
0: I know, but it's not explicit. He's intimating that it's sex, but generally he's just saying making whoopee is what you do as a single person. You get to make whoopee, meaning you get to have a good time, but obviously we can infer that he means sex.
1: I don't like to uh, argue with you, but I'm the only one here. So I'm going to say, no, he does mean it to mean sex. (laughs) And ever since then, it became in the popular Lexicon, because he's lost his reason because it's the season for making whoopee. So, you know, if so, yeah, so of making whoopie. So anyways, that's the origin. You can go on with your own theories because the Internet is full of them. But thank you for uh, introducing the image into my brain of Eddie Cantor and a whoopie cushion. I appreciate that.
0: I like the idea that there's a season for making whoopie. There's baseball season. There's basketball season, football season, of course. And then there's a season for making whoopie. <laughs> is it like a duck hunting season, you know, when it, there's an official day that it begins. Oh, (laughs) honey, you know, it's (laughs) the day I look forward to every year. It's it's opening day of making whoopee season.
1: No, I think that from my uh, knowledge of and speaking with friends and and popular culture, that after marriage, uh, most women do prefer that it's a seasonal event.
0: (laughs) I haven't uh, done much stand-up, but I do have a joke that I want to tell if if and when I do it, which is Mm. uh, to introduce that I'm going to talk about sex and to say I, I, I think I know a little bit about sex. I've been married for 20 years, and I have had sex literally dozens of
1: times. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. Whoopie
0: season. I have made whoopie, but I'm correct that they used to use it on the the newlywed game, which I think is how it has retained any popularity. There are all sorts of songs from the 20s that have fallen out of, not, they're just, we don't hear them anymore, and so whatever they were talking about, uh, Putting on the Ritz, remember that came back when Taco remade that song, the Gershwin tune. So, Making Whoopi, I think, would have probably fallen out of the lexicon entirely. Although, it has now again. I mean, nobody says that anymore, really, do they? Well, I don't know.
1: But I do know that it's your turn.
0: So just... <laughs> I like, you, you were going to remake the song Making Whoopie, but you change it to Knockin' Boots or something Yeah, like there that. you go. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would, it, would it be a modern version of Making Whoopi, just like... Uh, well, you mentioned before the show the porn version of Princess Bride would be Princess Grind.
1: You know, what, what you did there at the end, you leave me this leading question of something I don't know the answer to. And I seem to be just surrounded <laughs> with people. Just, I'm just walking around with them, and they'll look at trees and be like, yeah, you think that's deciduous or carnivorous or one of those other trees? Or They'll be like, how many buildings do you think there are in America? And I just, I'm constantly looking at these people being like, oh, thank God there's Google now.
0: Well, that's what I want you to figure out is the popularity of the expression making whoopee. You brought it up, not me, asshole.
1: Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, we know assholes in fine-fettered form. And speaking of, it's your turn.
0: Hey, okay. My word is copycat. What is a copycat, and why do we use that term for what it's definition? I almost gave it to you, which I'm sure you're not going to know on your own. But uh, So what do you think uh, a copycat is, and why we say that?
1: Okay, well, obviously, everybody knows a copycat is someone who mimics the other person, steals their shtick, or, or whatever it is. And they copycat. It can be done in jokes, it can be done in actions, it can be done in fashion. You wear leg warmers, and then Brenda wears leg warmers, and she's a copycat. Mm-hmm. And that actually was a true story for me. I was mm-hmm. the first one to wear leg warmers in my school, and then Brenda and the other girls started wearing them, and I called <laughs> them all sorts of names copycat
0: and such. You wore them on your penis. Though. Yeah, yeah. It
1: was, a, it was yeah. It was a, yeah. And, uh, but copycat, actually, it's from shipping in uh, naval, like a lot of terms are. It used to be the cat of nine tails that people would, if they would suffer punishment, they'd get the cat out of the bag, right? And that was the cat of nine tails, and they would get their pointy lashes or whatever it was. And oftentimes, uh, uh, when they would sail out, they'd sail with a large variety of seamen, and some of the seamen were masochists. And uh, so some of the seamen would be like, oh, that looks great. I would like to do that. And they'd be like, really? And the first seaman to say that was a private copy, uh, George Copy. <laughs> and they said, all right, copycat, you can have the cat. And then it just became copycat and became uh, the usage with the Brits.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, how much seamen? How many seamen?
1: <laughs>
0: there was a load of seamen <laughs> on each boat. <laughs> There's a huge load, load of semen on need one. <laughs> you're always going to get some masochists, and then there's always going to be a lot of semen also. Yeah. That is an excellent, excellent guess. There is such a thing as a cat or nine tails which is a whip, so that is true. They also, there is an expression, let the cat out of the bag, which you used, although not in the original meaning of the expression. But otherwise, you're pretty much off base. But you did get the definition right. A copycat is someone who imitates another person for some reason, some way. So here is the actual origin. And I get this from Slate.com, by the way. The word copycat has been applied to attacks, crimes, suicides, and not least of all, uninventive kids at the playground. Copycat. But where does the term copycat come from? 19th century Maine, it turns out. This is one of the ones that has a very specific origin. Constance Carey Harrison's 1887 quasi-memoir, Bar Harbor Days, contains the first written evidence of the term copycat, that we know of anyway. Our boys say you are a copycat if you write in anything that's been already printed. That's a quote from the book. Another early example comes from a different Maine-born writer, Sarah Orne Jewett, in her 1890 novel Betty Lester, A Story for Girls. I wouldn't be such a copycat, Lizzie French tells Betty upon hearing that Betty wants to start a second all-girls club. Jewett used it again in her 1896 novel, Country of Pointed Furs, about an elderly landlady in small-town coastal Maine who tells her friend Mrs. Fosdick, In these days, the young folks is all copycats. Afraid to death, they won't be all just alike. So what this article in Slate is suggesting is that the author, Sarah Orne Jewett, was herself a copycat by reusing the expression copycat. But unlike monkeys and parrots, cats aren't actually known for imitative behavior. But the term is somewhat logical since cat has been an insult since the medieval period. Cats were associated with all sorts of evil and mischief. In an early 13th century monastic guidebook for female monks called *Ancrene Rule, for instance, the anonymous author warns ascetics against becoming cats of hell. The term Hellcat, by the way, began to crop up around 1603, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. More famously, Shakespeare used cat in a similarly negative sense in All's Well That Ends Well. Count Bertram tells his right-hand man that Captain Dumain seems increasingly sleazy. A pox upon him for me! He's more and more a cat! I'm sure you remember that line, of course, from All's Well That Ends Well. Judging from this etymological history, a copycat isn't someone who copies like a cat, but just a jerk who is prone to imitation. The word copycat was likely first applied to criminal activity in the early 1960s. In the well-known 1961 article, Case of the Copycat Criminal, David Dressler explains that when crime comes in waves, simple imitation plays a large part in the phenomenon. Another article from 1961, this time in the Daily Telegraph, called the brutal slaying of a homosexual named George Stobbs a copycat murder. A year earlier, another gay man had been killed in a similar attack. But the term copycat crime didn't really gain currency until the early 1980s. In 1982, someone, or perhaps a number of people, replaced Tylenol powder with cyanide, killing seven. A few months later, poisonous substances were found in pharmaceuticals and food products, leading police to blame copycats influenced by the Tylenol murders. So that was something new that I learned from this article, was that they never caught the Tylenol killer, or killers. Did you know that? Do you remember that?
1: Oh, I certainly remember it. And it's, you know, to this day, why packages uh, take about 14 minutes to open.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I always found that fascinating because it would be relatively easy to take a hypodermic needle and inject poison, like to the bottom of a bottle of Tylenol or whatever it is. And then the seal would remain unbroken and nobody's going to notice, or it's unlikely you're going to notice a tiny pinprick in the bottom of your Tylenol. So, It seems more like security theater, as it were, sort of like taking your shoes off at the airport and all the rest of it. So that's copycat. It's not because cats copy each other, which they don't. It's just because cats traditionally are known as jerks, which they are. And so it used to be an insult to call someone a cat until, I guess, the jazz age when it became the name of somebody who played a pretty mean trumpet.
1: Well, I think you're kind of a cat and you play a pretty mean trumpet. (laughs) Okay, that was mine, copycat. Now, what's next?
0: (laughs) I guess I reiterate this on our podcast with some frequency, but it just reminds me how curious it is that we use these expressions and we never think about. People say copycat, and you've said it dozens of times and heard it and read it and so on and so forth and never stop to think, wait, cats don't copy. Why would we call somebody a copycat? And we're just sheep. We do as we're told. We just take things as as they're presented to us. And that's why January 6th happened.
1: Well, we've we've talked about this before, you know, the person that gets outraged about whatever it is, and then they take that on as a personal crusade, and you look at it, and there's a part of you that goes, yeah, I should get involved in that, and you're like, yeah, but Doris seems to be doing fine. Sure. So, we only have limited bandwidth, and most of that I'm using, I don't know about other people, but I'm doing my best to watch most of the episodes of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs>
0: well that's good because you're probably one of those people who only uses 10% of your brain
1: (laughs) yeah that's good god knows this this 10% is bad enough i don't know what the other 90% might be
0: that's another one though i thought one of just the one of these things that people say or we were taught as kids like or you just hear that the average person only uses 10% of their brain and it's like that is so ridiculous what what an idiotic concept you would have to only be using 10 percent of your brain to buy that but you know we just people say oh yeah you got to drink eight 12 ounce glasses of water every day or oh yeah you got to wait an hour before you go swimming after eating like all these things that we were were pluto is a planet It's all lies my point is it's all lies everything's a lie and cats don't copy so stop saying it start saying copy monkey
1: yeah. No, that's a good point. No, I had heard it too, this get these people that are like, "Oh yeah, the earth's around, it's an orb." And I'm like, "Come on, man. I can tell right away. Look at a map. Flat." Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anybody can figure that out. All right. So that's good. And and you're right. If I had a gun to my head, I would say, why is there a gun to my head? And then next, if they were like, tell us where copycat came from, I would have just said, yeah, I guess it's cats mimicking each other. And that would have been my last words, which would have been unfortunate. All right. So moving on. So that's copycat. I agree. It is the whole point of the show, though, is to find words and phrases that are odd and don't make much sense. So the next one I have uh, before I give it to you, This will give you a a tip. My next uh, term is shag. Shag. Okay. Where did shag come from? (laughs) And, of course, we all know shagadelic and shagging, at least people our age, from the brilliant Mike Myers film trilogy (laughs) of Austin Powers, (laughs) The Spy Who Shagged Me, and uh, shagadelic, baby. And that was fantastic. And I thought we should give some homage to our British roots here, our English roots, and explore where shagging comes from. But before we do that... I'd like to take a little brief detour into the 18th century, the 1800s, I guess the 19th century, 1800s of euphemisms for intercourse back in the 1800s. And here are a choice few that I've uncovered. Okay. This is from the website Mental Floss. So they get all the credit and all the lawsuits can be directed to Malcolm (laughs) K. Flusher. All right, so first was the polite one in the 1800s for intercourse, for knocking boots, as you say, was amorous Congress. Mm. Two people were engaged in amorous Congress. By far the most polite option here. Bread and butter. The 1811 dictionary, the vulgar tongue puts it, this refers to one person on top of the other, as in the term, rumor has it he found her bread and butter fashion with the neighbor. (laughs) Says nothing about jam. The cruder one here is they were playing the blanket hornpipe. And okay, uh, it goes sure. on to say there's probably no way to use this in seriousness or discreetly, but there you have it. And then my personal favorite was blow the groundsels. <laughs> and blow the groundsels was the term because groundsels are foundation timbers. So it was to have sex on the floor. Where's uh, Jacob? Oh, he's blowing the groundsels with Molly. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, the, the last one for the more uh, literative minded of you, the upper crust that are tuned in, riding St. George and that was used in the 1800s in the story of saint george and the dragon the dragon reared up from the lake to tower over the saint so playing at saint george or riding saint george casts a woman as the dragon and puts her on top oh where's where's william oh he's out with bessie riding saint george
0: (laughs) wait those weren't the same people who were doing the one on the floor were they
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, they weren't They weren't the souls. So that leads us up to the modern one, which is shag. We're all familiar with shag. But you go ahead and take your guess as to the uh, meaning and then the uh, derivation of shag.
0: Boy, what could the meaning be? I that prologue, Something to do with carpet. There are two uh, that you didn't mention that are even older. One of which is to make the beast with two backs, which occasionally yeah. you still hear. And that, I think, comes from Shakespeare. Right, right. Or maybe the Bible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I excluded that one out of uh, some sort of taste, but thank you for including it. What's the other one?
0: The other one is definitely from Shakespeare. Is There's a song that was popular in the 80s called I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight, and yeah. that is also from Shakespeare. It means I just ejaculated inside of you, but it, it's a much more genteel, as you put it, way of expressing that. But I think we did the show a couple of episodes ago where you brought all these different terms for dying. And it seems like if you were to like rank the most expressions that we have for something like we have a lot for dying, we have a lot for having sex, I think maybe the most would be for the male penis, for the male penis, as opposed to the female penis. We're very trans-inclusive here. Or maybe for, for masturbating. There's a lot, specifically for men masturbating, there's a lot of different expressions for that. It would it'd be, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to line, them, line them up, what would be the most. But
1: I believe the most popular one now is, uh, is working the whoopee cushion.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cantering the whoopee cushion. <laughs> Yeah, I was about cantering with, on your. Oh, you're on your horse? No, I don't have a horse. So, yes, yeah, shag. It means to have sex. Obviously, it's a Britishism, and much like your earlier expressions, it's not just having sex. It's specifically to have sex on a shag rug. So, it must have been originated in the '70s, uh, even though that puts it out of the right timeline for Austin Powers, because that's when shag rugs became popular. And they soon after became unpopular once people had to start cleaning their shag rugs after they had sex on them, and mm, it's expensive. So that's my guess. No, I know. It's when you roll two people up inside of a carpet and they have sex. It's a very specific kind of sex.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it was considered polite by the mob when they offed you to roll you up with your partner and let you have one more shag (laughs) before they dumped you in the (laughs) metal
0: room. Sex inside of a rolled up carpet. Yeah. It's like it's like the, the apocryphal story about how the uh, the Inuit people have like thirty different words for snow. Um, we have we have different different words for all the various ways you can have sex, and this is shag was for having sex inside of a rolled up carpet. That's for sure what it is. I'm banking that answer, Bob.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, no whammies. Yeah, that's very very good. So shag is from 1590s the noun. And interestingly, it was a cloth having a velvet nap on one side. Perhaps from the Old English, shagaga, rough matted hair or wool. So it's interesting that the original meaning in 1590, cloth having a velvet nap on one side, or rough, wool, rough matted hair or wool, then we have the shag carpets later. So the shag is there. It didn't make the uh, turn into copulation until about 1788 from the obsolete verb, Shag from the late 14th century, which was to shake or waggle, oh. which is pretty much connected to shake. And be boot, MDB water was shagged. So shag can also refer to being tired, essentially. And then and to, to turn it out, essentially, I like the last one, which is in baseball, you can go shag flies. You that's know, true. Shagging flies in 1913. And so that's kind of nice because we also have a lot of euphemism for baseball. Rounding third, did you get to second? You got to third? <laughs> you went all the way. I was out there shagging, and then I dropped the ball, but she, we still went all the way. So that's it. That's how shagging uh, came to be and where it is now. And uh, just a uh, tip of the hat to Austin Powers, and I'm just going to relay my favorite scene from a uh, Mike Myers movie, which was So I Married an Axe Murderer. He walks in expecting to see the woman who he just shagged, when he comes downstairs the next morning, and the, the woman's gone, but her sister's there. And he's never met her before, and she's just sitting there smoking over the breakfast table. And he's alarmed because he's come down in his towel expecting to see the woman he's just had amorous Congress with the last uh, evening. And after he gets over his surprise, and she goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. Why don't I make you breakfast? And he's like, oh, I'll just leave. And she goes, no, I'll make you breakfast. And he's like, no, 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 I, I should just go. And she goes, oh, really? Because I can make you uh, Belgian waffles, bacon, rye toast, fresh squeezed orange juice, and, and fresh Kona coffee. And he goes, well, actually, that sounds pretty good. So he goes up, takes a shower, he comes back the next scene, and there's a bowl of like tricks sitting there with the cereal, <laughs> trick cereal. And and she looks at him and goes, Sorry, I didn't have that other stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that movie is i don't know if it's forgotten now but it's good it's my favorite part was him playing his character's father also who has a thick scottish (laughs) accent yeah head (laughs) yeah the the kid he's just yelling he's got a giant head it's not even that funny but with the accent it makes it funny when he accuses someone of stinking up the bathroom and he says next time light a match i think when the first time i saw it i didn't know what the hell he was talking about i'd never heard of lighting a match to dispel the scent in a freshly stenched up bathroom, but I, I, him doing the Scottish accent was super funny, no matter what the context, so yeah, head, that, that, that's, it's good stuff, good stuff. So wait, what was the amorous conduct? Is that what the genteel way of saying it was initially that you mentioned?
1: Oh, amorous Congress. Yes.
0: Amorous Congress. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, we need more of that in, in yeah. Washington.
1: Actually, that's Aruba's uh, legislative body.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the amorous Congress. That actually sounds like a... Uh, a- <laughs> <laughs> it's a reality show with all the incoming freshman representatives and yeah. they're put in a you know somewhere together alone and they're just my daughter has been watching this show that I've forgotten the name of it's a reality show where they just bring all these attractive people together and they say they they get to split a hundred thousand dollars if they can avoid having sex with each other yeah. and they're yeah. all very very dumb and so I'm thinking that Amorous Congress would be a great name for that show but just members of Congress new representatives they're getting to know yeah. each other feeling each other out and it might uh-huh. actually help with bridging the the, uh, the divide between Republicans nah. and Democrats. Nothing helps you reach across the aisle like a reach around.
1: Naked and afraid to legislate.
0: <laughs> there you go. See, the ideas just roll off the tongue. So but what you're yeah. saying is that it, it uh, originated in the 1780s. So since the 1780s, people, especially in Britain, have been saying shag to mean sex. I thought it was something that uh, arose in like the 1960s, but you're saying it's been around for much, much longer.
1: Yeah, but, you know, they're the British, so we don't know. They also call it farthing a truppence.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, they call the trunk of a car they call a lift, which is weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they call the president a prime minister. Although they apparently they found an F somewhere in the word lieutenant, so they're very creative people. You got to give them credit for that. All right. Well, let's move on to my next expression, which is not as perverted as your yours are all d- dirty. Get your mind out of the gutter. But mine are wholesome and clean. And it's the whole kit and caboodle. The whole kit mm. and caboodle. What does it mean? And where does it come from? The whole kit and caboodle. All
1: right. Well, this is an easy one for me. Again, I hate to burst your bubble, as we say, but I know this one, unfortunately for you. <laughs> so, kit and caboodle, obviously, is, it's the whole ball of wax. It's sure. the whole enchilada. And that's the easy one you know, with the whole kit and caboodle. But what it comes from is actually, people don't know this, but there was a show called Knight Rider in the 80s, uh, I believe it was, with the guy who went on to star in Baywatch. David Hasselhoff. Uh, you no, know, The Rock. The Rock. Yeah. Anyway, no, it was David Hasselhoff, you're right. A big fan of the Germans. And in this show, he drives a talking car, and the talking car was called Kit. Right? Mm-hmm. And what is little known in that uh, thing, they had a spinoff of the show at the end because the ratings were going out. That's when they used to have ratings for shows, and if the ratings went too low, you got canceled. So, what a lot of shows would bring in, like a new character, like the Brady Bunch brought in Oliver, Different
0: Strokes brought in, you know, a, a kids. Usually, like it would be once the the baby on the show, like on the Cosby show, Rudy got too old to be cute anymore, then they bring in a new cute baby. They bring new in a kid. new baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, in the Cosby show, they also would bring in, like, new characters oh. for Felicia shop but they'd always be sleepy.
0: Mm. They'd always be real mm. they'd be real
1: sleepy. They'd bring them in. But anyway, so the kit car at the end uh, of the Night Rider, the ratings went gone. And so they brought in a new character, like a smaller car, like a cute little Fiat, and it was a caboodle. Ah. And it was the kit and the caboodle. (laughs) And so that meant the whole thing. And then after that, the show got canceled because it turns out the kit car was jealous and ate the smaller car, ran it
0: over. (laughs) Because on shows like Family Ties, they didn't have a baby to start with. They had the youngest child in the beginning was like in middle school. And then when things got sort of stale, they always have this surprise baby. And I like the idea of somehow Michael Knight and Kit produce a child (laughs) that's a (laughs) a mini sentient car we actually i guess it would be half car half human but it would have great Mm -hmm. hair and a great accent also because kid had that charming british accent for some reason but that is great the expression is a little older than the 80s however and it does not relate in any way to a failed spin-off of a tv show But that is an excellent, excellent guess, and I appreciate your confidence. You said it with confidence, and that's what matters. You can bullshit your way through almost anything, but not this. Not on this show. Not on Words Between Friends, Buster. You're correct, though, about the lot, everything there is. That's what the whole kit and caboodle means. And come to think of it, we have a lot of expressions for that also. The whole shebang, the whole schmear, the whole enchilada, the the whole ball of wax, as you pointed out. But the word kit, the... Oxford English Dictionary says has been used since the late 18th century to mean a number of things or persons viewed as a whole, a set lot collection, especially in the phrase the whole kit. From 1785 into the late 1800s, kit appeared in such slang phrases as the whole kit, the whole kit and boiling, the whole kit and cargo, and the whole kit and boodle. Caboodle may be a combination of the prefix cur plus this older boodle, which meant a crowd or collection of people or things. Two early kitless versions of the expression were the whole boodle and the whole caboodle. Here are the Oxford English Dictionary's first citations for these older versions. From the Downeasters, an 1833 novel by John Neal. Who knew there were so many novels that were influential in the culture, but nobody has ever heard of anymore? I know a feller would whip the whole boodle of them. And from the Ohio State Journal, 1848, which I still turn to when I, when I want some light reading, the whole caboodle will act upon the recommendation of the Ohio Sun. The only expression that has survived, however, is the whole kit and caboodle. The OED's first citation for this final version is from the Boston Globe in 1888. If any railroad lobbyist cast reflections on his character, he would wipe out the whole kit and caboodle of them. So it's sort of like a combination of two phrases. And I I read somewhere else that the caboodle part may have just been alliteration. They had the whole kit and boodle, and the k just got added. So the whole kit and caboodle. And kit apparently comes from kith, which means your property... Uh, it's a very old term, but it's definitely, one. Of, that one, it doesn't even make any sense. The whole kit and caboodle, we'll just say that, and as if that's supposed to mean something to people, and people understand us, so I'm at a loss, because the whole boodle, <laughs> I like the whole boodle, but it's the whole kit and caboodle, but we all know that it means everything, and so how is everything? When you're asked, you can say, the whole kit and caboodle are doing just fine.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of a store, kit and caboodles. So what is the thing called with the hobos used to carry on the stick?
0: That is a bindle. A bindle. A
1: bindle. But I thought that's what it was, a kit and caboodle, too, because it's your kit. Still, it's your kit on the end of your bindle is the kit. The whole thing's a bindle. Anyway, so uh, I like it. It's very nice, kit and caboodle. I'm gobsmacked myself. (laughs) that People know it. So that's a good one. I wouldn't have guessed that one, but that's the whole point of these,
0: right? Well, Um, no, sometimes they're guessable. Didn't I get one once? I don't know. <laughs> like, you,
1: I like to think so.
0: I like to think so, and you don't really pay attention to what I'm saying. You've you sort of tuned me out, I know.
1: Yeah, I have no idea what's going on right now. Okay, very good. So I like it, kit and caboodle. I like bindle. I, I have heard the word kit as in terms of, like, that's my kit. They say it a lot when you're camping. Yeah. That's a, a thing that they would say, you know, it's my kit, which means all your stuff, all your, yeah. all your junk. So you bring your kit and the caboodle. But mostly I heard caboodle back when I was hanging out with a lot of large posterior women.
0: Oh, she's got the whole caboodle. Yeah. Oh,
1: man, you got to see her
0: caboodle. She can really move that caboodle.
1: All right, so very good. Before I I go into my last entry for the day, I'll give you a chance to guess at my theme, as we often do. So far, we've had making whoopee and shag. So uh, any guesses before I unveil the last one?
0: Let's see. Making whoopee, shag. Not only do I know the theme, I'm going to guess Mm -hmm. that your last word... Mm-hmm. is <laughs> the password is fuck <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know me too well it turns out so well done you get full marks on that one so yes yeah, so, i mean obviously these are uh all associated with the act of coitus yes and there's lots and lots of uh, ways to do that and lots of ways to talk about it and uh, lots of phrases for it more commonly knocking boots doing the deed tripping the light fantastic going all the way on and on and on. And m- many of those are self-explanatory. Doing the deed, doing it, knocking boots, very easy to know what they are.
0: My favorite is playing hide the salami.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we <laughs> covered some of the ones from the old days, and we are all pretty conversant of the ones today, which often start with such a uh, wonderful wooing that young men do nowadays when they send a text saying, you up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we often know what, uh, what they're hoping for yeah, there.
0: That's foreplay. It's just you up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So until we get to the actual word that begets it all and its derivation and its history, obviously, you know the thing, I want to tell a quick story that was told to me by a friend of mine at the time. And this is a true story about a friend of hers. And the woman was in her 30s and had a, a young child. We're just going to say his name is Greg for the sake of anonymity. So Greg comes home to, let's say, her name is Trudy, to the mom and says, oh, Mama, Stevie said a really bad word on the playground today. And so Trudy's like, well, what, what was it? And he's like, I can't tell you. You told me I, I can never say that word. And Trudy's like, well, what did it start with? And Greg's very uncomfortable at this point. He's like, well, it's, it's the G word. And immediately, Trudy's like, "Hmm, gee, let's see." And she's kind of going through, and she's like, "I don't really know uh, what it could be." Is a like grass and groin and genitalia? And she's she hardly thinks that Stevie, who she knows who's six, knows the words genitalia or you know goiter or gonorrhea. balls or whatever gonorrhea, right? And so she's going through, and she thinks, "Well, maybe it's goddamn." But she's like, "I don't know." And so she keeps asking uh, Gregory because uh, you know how uh, women are—you like, got to know and such. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and. Uh, you
0: know, I always gotta know everything. So, uh, and so finally she turns. <laughs> why are you out all night? <laughs> what's that?
1: What's that mark on your
0: neck? <laughs> what's all that, why are you covered in blood? You gotta know everything. <laughs> you got everything
1: right. Where were you at three a.m.? Anyway, so Greg says uh, he's more and more uncomfortable The kid's more and more comfortable, and finally she realizes that he's afraid he's gonna get in trouble. She goes, "Oh, well, listen, I know I told you you get in trouble, but I swear to you, you will not get in any trouble." Just go ahead and tell me what it is. Because now she's just dying of curiosity. And he goes, really? I'm not getting in trouble? And she goes, yes, I promise you won't get in trouble. So he looks at her and he goes, okay. And he looks her right in the eyes and he goes, it was fuck,"
0: <laughs> The notorious G word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, he's six. How is he supposed to know? The
1: alphabet wasn't. It turns out he went on to become a, a high-paid attorney.
0: Well, I mean, no, look, I mean, he probably, at that age, you would know A is for Apple, B is for Ball. But when they get to F, they, that's not what F is. <laughs> you know, in his in his kindergarten classroom, you know, when they've got it up on the wall all over the place, you know, it's F is for Fox or whatever. <laughs> so that's reasonable why you would think it was the G word.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, That's good times. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, uh, that's it, and then I'm going to go on to my next word. Okay. This one comes courtesy of the uh, internet. I just wanted to uh, shoehorn into the show, and it seemed like this was a good one. The guy is sent to his sister being like, your best story ever. Again, when she was six, apparently her dad was like, you want to play a game? And the little girl at the time, she said, yeah, I want to play the the naked man game. (laughs) And the dad goes, what? You know, he's like again, like his thirties. You know the naked man game, and the guy's like, "What do you mean?" And she goes, "You know the one I play with the babysitter." (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. and the dad's like, "Huh?" And she goes, "Yeah, over there. Come on, I'll show you. It's in the closet." So they go, and the guy has no idea what he's going to uh, see. And he opens up the closet, she points to the top, and the game is Operation.
0: Of course. Of course. <laughs> that reminds me of it happened to me a little bit, which is that I took two of my kids. were very little. I took them to a local park, and there was a, an event a rally sort of but a fun like family rally at this park to fund the schools or something and people were dressed in costume and there were like balloons and music and so on and so forth and it was you know it was a fun atmosphere and so I took my kids and my daughter was maybe three or four and uh, afterwards we came home and I said did you have a good time and she said yeah but I didn't like that black man <laughs> or maybe it was, maybe she said black guy I didn't like that black guy and I was like what? You know, like, Jesus Christ, She's three years old. She's a little fucking racist already. And oh, yeah. I was all prepared to give her a speech, you know, like, oh, yeah. this is family, we judge a person by the content of their character and blah, blah, blah. You know, and uh, yeah. you know, don't you, you know, and then so I'm like, no, no, wait, Let's let's clarify, let's do a little more active questioning and make sure I understand exactly what she's talking about here. So it turns out that what she was referring to was someone who was dressed in costume as Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, who had been there, nice. she didn't know who Darth Vader was because she was only three right. or four, and she just saw this yeah. scary-looking guy dressed in black, and I was like, oh, shoot!" Turns out she is still a huge racist, but at least at <laughs> that point yeah, I, okay. I didn't know. Yeah.
1: Right. Oh, no, that's hilarious. My first encounter with an African-American woman was actually in the grocery store. I was like four or five, and apparently, I this, I remember doing this, actually, because it was such a moment. I ran up to her, jumped into her arms. Of course, she picked me up and hugged me because I was only like three or four. I was real little and I gave her a big hug and then I reeled back a little bit and I, I called out mom look I found someone she's made of chocolate she's chocolate <laughs> and this was Ohio and I was like that was my first anyway what are you going to do this is a true story. So, uh, all right. So, moving on.
0: It took, it took a giant bite out of her shoulder.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I... I think I put my finger on her face, too. I was like, no, it doesn't taste chocolate. Yeah, anyway.
0: Just a big, just lick her cheek. Disappointment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: so, anyway, that's our lead-in to the f War. So, let's go back to its origin, which is the very beginning.
0: Wait, no, do I get to guess?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, you get to guess the meaning of the word. <laughs>
0: Well, when a man and a woman love each other very much, or two men, or... Uh, Two women, uh, and they have a device, or... or
1: Two women and a sheep (laughs) and a horse. (laughs) Yeah.
0: When they love each other very much, or at least they're both bored, or uh, they like each other enough, or they've had enough Mm -hmm. dates, or if one person just really wants to and the other one's like, fine. Yeah, whatever. It was like modern-day version of having the sex talk with your children. So you always say you know it, but I actually do know this one, that it comes from the German word thicken, which means to strike. But I don't know how it... It's also... It doesn't just mean that. It's an intensifier. It's used in all sorts of different ways. It's an extraordinarily flexible word in the English language, which seems like we shouldn't discourage its use so much because it can be used to mean so many things. I mean, if you're like an alien coming down on earth, and you don't know the, the subtleties of the language, and you told someone, oh, you're fucked, they'd be like, great, you know? But no, it means bad, but be, getting fucked is like something that theory is really good. But the same thing with the word shit, like, oh, that's the shit, that's really good, or like, oh, that's shit. The flexibility of curse words, that you have to understand the context, for someone who did not speak the language as non-native speaker, I imagine it can be very, very confusing. But I will hand over the floor to you so you can give us more background on fucking. So
1: you're right, it's, it's actually for the word that is so important to us, it's not a very sexy origin. It's most likely, like you said, from the Germanic languages, meaning to rub, to strike. The Dutch had fucking to breed, to beget. Afrikaans, to fuck, to fuck. You know, Icelandic, fucka. It's it's all over the world. And I'm sure it goes back to caveman times, when I'm like, ooh,
0: what do you do? Ooh, I oog. Cave ooh. woman named Brenda, Brenda. I like that.
1: So it's very flexible and everything else. But this is the part that I think will engage the listener. In 2015, Dr. Paul Booth argued he had found possibly the earliest known use of the word fuck that clearly has a sexual connotation in English court records of 1310. A man local to Chester, which still exists, is referred to as, quote, Roger <laughs> Fuck by the Navel," <laughs> Probably a nickname. Either this refers to an inexperienced copulator referring to someone trying to have sex with the mm. navel. Or it is rather an extravagant explanation for a dimwit, someone so stupid they think this is the way to have sex. An earlier name, that of John LeFucker, recorded in 1278, has been the subject of debate, but thought by many philologists to have had some separate non-sexual origin. And as you recall, my original name was John LeFucker.
0: But was it the navel? Was it John, or what was this guy's name?
1: John Fuck by the Navel.
0: John Fuck by the Navel. It's not a surprise that the name died out, you know? Like, yeah. He, yeah. Last in his line, John Fuck by the Navel. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go.
1: So that was pretty interesting, I thought. And then so what happened is it was in usage... All the way through. It's been usage in all of these other countries all over the world, all the way through. However, for a long time, it did not appear in the uh, dictionary. And from 1795 to 1965, the word did not appear in a single general dictionary of the English language. And in 1948, you'll appreciate this, the uh, publishers of The Naked and the Dead persuaded Norman Mailer to use the, use of the euphemism fug instead, resulting in Dorothy Parker's comment upon meeting Mailer so you're the man who can't spell fuck. <laughs>
0: I know that I hope that people listening learn something from this podcast, but I've learned something from you for sure here that fucking is popular all over the world. Yeah, I did not know that. So
1: yeah, uh, It's uh, good times.
0: <laughs> so I wonder, like, making that decision to include it in the dictionary, because that, that's something I remember distinctly from school, like in the junior high school library, grabbing out the dictionary and looking up the dirty words and saying, oh, my God, it's in here. Ah, You know, that's sort of a rite of passage, I think back when we had dictionaries. Now, the internet, I guess. Kids are a little more sophisticated early on. Uh, Sophisticated is the right word. But fucking was popular in the 1200s. It was popular in the (laughs) 1700s. We should do that, one of those uh, Google searches for words popularity. Like, fuck, just a steady line, just straight across. Because fucking never goes out of fashion. And that's the other thing that I think about with, like, in the Middle Ages. They didn't have Nintendo. They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have TV. They didn't have movies. So most people... Really, just not a lot of entertainment options like we have today. But they did have sex, and we still have sex today. Sex is still very popular. And to think, like nowadays, sex is like an option among many, but back then that was pretty much it. But it was so much better than anything else. You can see why it would have been so popular.
1: Right, and I mean, there's a reason that people used to have six, eight, ten kids. Besides all the thing about oh, we needed help on the farm. You're like, we didn't need that much help. And there was nothing else to do. And then when you're reading these, uh, uh, Stephen Pinkett's book is about like, why the world is better, you find out that prior to the invention of lights and gas lamps and things like that, 1300s, 1400s, 1500s, et cetera, that it was super common, even in small villages, that if you stepped outside your house at night, you'd be murdered, you know? <laughs> we, would just, we would just kill each other, willy nilly. So of course you're gonna stay in. You can only play Scrabble so often. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that underscores two things that really just never go out of fashion, which is sex and murder.
1: Yeah, there you go. They're popular
0: in the Middle Ages, still is popular today. Yeah. Um, Alright, so that's fucking. Do you have anything else to add about fucking, or are you uh, done with fucking entirely? No,
1: generally I'm for it. I know a lot of people are against it, but I will say this, it did make it to the Supreme Court. It was in 1971, decided that the public display of fuck is protected under the First and Fourteenth Amendments. We all know the First Amendment is protection of speech, and the 14th is protection to offend anybody you want. Mm. But in 1968, Paul Cohen had been convicted of disturbing the peace for wearing a jacket with the slogan, Fuck the Draft. In reference, of course, to conscription during the Vietnam War, the conviction was upheld by the Court of Appeals, but overturned by the Supreme Court.
0: All right, so fuck is acceptable. The Supreme Court has given its approval to fucking. (laughs) They get such a bad rap nowadays, but they've been very useful. All right, well, we're on to our last word, which is my concluding word, and you can see if you can figure out what the theme is that I have gone with this week. And the word is pussyfoot. Pussyfoot. What does it mean to pussyfoot? And why do we say that?
1: Well, obviously, pussyfoot means to sort of, uh, the cat thing is being like a cat burglar. Can't pussyfoot. cat But a pussyfoot is, is to, uh, you don't want to broach a subject, so you're pussyfooting around it. I wanted uh, to bring up the uh, sexual disease that I had contracted in my friend's car, but I wanted to pussyfoot around it, so instead I sued her uh, insurance company, <laughs> which turns out to have been one of those shady insurance companies and uh, didn't pay out a lot. But yeah, you're pussyfooting around a, a subject. Uh, You don't want to just come right out and and talk about it. Often people will pussyfoot around the subject of fucking when it comes to their children. Well, you know what I'm saying. Like, where do babies come from? And we pussyfoot around that subject, which is ironic uh, in a way. But it comes from, pussyfoot actually comes from uh, the same place that cat burglar does. Pussy feet, known to be very soft and padded, that uh, in the uh, 14th, 15th century, cats were trained to steal items from other homes because they could move around in the dark and stuff. And so what people would do is they would send the cats
0: out to do the burgling. (laughs) This is very plausible. Yeah.
1: and then Well, you uh, just had
0: to train one because the rest could be copycats.
1: Yeah, they would copycat. And then that didn't work because they could only get small things. So they started cutting off the cat's feet and putting the cat's feet over their feet. Therefore, they were pussyfooting, you see, in order to cat burp. (laughs)
0: I thought for sure you were going to say... Because, you know, people... (laughs) There's this one kink of men who like to have sex using their feet, but they don't like to talk about it, so they... (laughs) <laughs> they pussyfoot around the subject of pussyfooting. But no, that went off the rails a little bit. You did start sort of promisingly, and then it got a little weird. But but yes, to pussyfoot... It sounds, sounds like the uh, biography of my life. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to pussyfoot is to proceed with caution, to move warily but steadily, or sidestep mm-hmm. an issue so as to not take a side. It is almost always used in a pejorative sense, and as such, its synonyms include equivocating, hedging, or even weaseling. There's another animal. Bad rap, the weasel. Someone who pussyfoots around an issue does not want to express an opinion about the issue, usually because it could be controversial and could lead to a problem. By the way, I get this from politicaldictionary.com. The term dates back to at least 1893. That's when Scribner's magazine wrote about, quote, men who were beginning to walk pussyfooted and shy at shadows. The expression comes from the soft steps of a cat, so you're right there. President Theodore Roosevelt popularized the term around 1905, using it to refer to men he believed were excessively cautious and sneaky. At the same time, one member of Theodore Roosevelt's own administration may have done even more to popularize the term pussyfoot. William Johnson, that's his real name, It sounds made up, but it's really his real name, who helped to fight against bootlegging and illegal alcohol sales in Indian territory was better known as Pussyfoot Johnson. He was charged with ending all liquor sales in the territories, and predictably, the job won him enemies all over. That's why Johnson started doing his work at night, (laughs) using cats. (laughs) Or actually having cut off cats' feet and putting them on his own feet. (laughs) Genius. He apparently crept around at night, much like a cat, with great stealth, earning the nickname Pussyfoot. Johnson was an ardent prohibitionist, and his fellow prohibitionists came to be known as pussyfooters as well. The term pussyfoot is almost never used in that sense today. Decades later, in 2016, Sarah Palin used the term pussyfooting when she endorsed Donald Trump for president. Palin, the one-time vice presidential candidate and Alaska governor, said that with Trump there would be no more pussyfooting around. Which is weird, because he is into that foot thing. Merriam-Webster reported that after Palin's speech, there was a sudden spike in searches for the word in their dictionary. So well, that... that's
1: interesting too, because uh, Donald is a, a famous non-drinker. He doesn't imbibe mm. because of his brother's bout with uh, and, and demise to alcoholism. So uh, Donald gets his kicks out of, uh, you know, <laughs> other things.
0: <laughs> well, I would like to, if possible, and you know, you can you can weigh in on this. But I would like to make William. Pussyfoot Johnson, the honorary mascot of the Words Between Friends podcast. That He got this name and didn't just like punch everybody who called him that. Indicates that it was not considered as pejorative as it would be today if someone called you Pussyfoot or Pussy anything really.
1: I was in a uh, hot tub in Greenbelt, Maryland next to the pool. They have like a big hot tub there and there's a bunch of uh, septuagenarians and octogenarians there because it's Greenbelt and there are a lot of older folks there. And I'm just enjoying my soak. And there's three of them over there, two women and a guy. And somehow the uh, subject of the word pussy comes up. And then one woman says in a clear voice that just happens to go on those lull of conversation, She's like, pussy. I never understood why people thought that was a bad word. I always thought pussy was pretty nice. It's like gentle and everything. And they realize that I'm looking at them with my jaw hanging out. (laughs) The woman goes, I'm sorry if I offended you. And I was like, no, it's just because you're old.
0: (laughs) Do we weigh pussy versus, say, beaver? I mean, is this a consideration?
1: No, but she was right. She says, I don't see why it's a derogatory term. And this is the thing about fucking, you know, like you said, fuck you. And all of a sudden it's a thing. And it always seems like a strange thing to say. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. (laughs) You know, I'm in. You know, uh, what time? (laughs) And it turns out it was about 300 years before it, uh, because they said it was like 1500s, people were using fuck, but it wasn't until the 1800s that it started becoming this derogatory thing. And then it was very recently, then people were like, oh, that's fucking awesome or that's fucking great or, or whatever, that it became a good thing almost. I mean, I think it's always been a good thing, which is your point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe John Fucked by the navel doesn't Yeah, so, maybe, like well, Yeah, and
0: don't, and don't ask his wife what she thinks of it.
1: <laughs> She's like, ah. I don't know what all the fuss is about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, she heard about the navel, and she thought about semen, and she was like, I'm in, but turns out it was all wrong. Yeah. Uh, So that's pussyfoot. (laughs) You really can't use any word with pussy in it without it getting sort of Snickers and being Beavis and Butthead, like, (laughs) you know, pussy willow. It's become just, it's off the table. uh, (laughs) uh
1: I know exactly. I was at dinner the other day with a bunch of couples and and stuff and I leaned over to one woman and I said, how is your pussy? (laughs) Is, is, Is she well fed? Are you taking good care of her? Are you stroking her enough? every day. And for some reason, everybody thought that was beyond the pale.
0: I think that's a Steve Martin bit. You know, he does a whole bit about, yeah, her pussy was there. And then he's offended (laughs) at the audience. Like, how dare you people? You people are disgusting. Uh, I was talking about her cat. And then he closes the the concluding line is, that cat was the best lay I ever had or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, So good stuff. Thank you, Steve Martin. All right. So that's it. Were you able to figure out what my theme was by any chance, but from copycat, kitten caboodle and pussyfoot? uh obviously it's sex it's sex with cats that's right so it's good that we ended <laughs> that with, with that steve martin <laughs> <laughs> john fucked by the navel was that it john <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget william pussyfoot johnson i want john fucked by the navel to be our mascot
1: oh no it was, it's even better because it was roger
0: <laughs> roger <laughs> roger fucked by the navel <laughs> yeah. Uh, alright well thank you for listening to the Words Between Friends podcast if you found the show tolerable you're practically guaranteed to be able to sit through the other podcast curtain I do quality control purposes available wherever you enjoy quality audio entertainment of this nature so now that we've pussyfooted our way through this episode and well we're fucked I will leave you with our oft repeated but nevertheless solemn pledge that the next time we promise to do better Hey, thanks for listening. But before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Or, if you didn't enjoy it, well, give us five stars and a glowing review anyway. Why should you be the only one who suffers? And also, be sure to check out the other podcast Curtain. I do, Quality Control Purposes, where we offer our critiques of professional advice columnists' responses to letter writers while barely concealing our borderline contempt for one another.